I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies, bad movies, movies that we loved, and movies that we hated. This podcast is offered absolutely free and with no outside advertising. So if you like what you hear, please help us reach our goal of 10,000 listeners by subscribing to us on iTunes and writing us a review. You can find a link to do so at writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of movies, but they all have one thing in common. They all have more than one main character. There's been a lot of debate about whether new screenwriters should write scripts that only have one main character, or whether it's okay for them to write scripts with more than one. There are even some famous gurus who say that multi-plot structures, structures with more than one main character, are just plain bad and that nobody should ever write them. It's a good thing that nobody ever gave Robert Altman that advice, or at least that if they did, he didn't take it, or we would have missed out on a whole chapter of film history. We'd also have missed out on a whole lot of other hugely successful movies. The Squid and the Whale, Little Miss Sunshine, Crash, The Shawshank Redemption, The Usual Suspects, The Godfather, Dead Poet Society, American Beauty, True Detective, and the entire library of Quentin Tarantino. And at the same time, there are genuine risks when we break point of view and start telling a story from the point of view of multiple main characters. So what do you need to know? about writing a script with more than one main character. In general, if you stay with your main character, very little bad can happen to you. If you stay with one character, very little bad can happen to you because you just have to focus on creating the journey of that one character, which is a far more intuitive process for most writers. It feels more like our lives. In my life, for example, I don't know what my wonderful TV writing teacher, Meredith, does when she goes home. I only know what she does here in front of me at the studio. Unless I literally follow Meredith home, that part of her life will always be hidden from my view. In my life, my experience of my relationship with Meredith happens only through my eyes, only in what I get to see. And so when we follow only one character, what happens is it allows us to feel like we're watching the movie through their eyes. And this is natural for us structurally. This is intuitive in that we're used to experiencing the story of our own lives in this way. The other thing is that we end up with 95 to 105 pages that we get to dedicate only to one really specific journey. And that just allows us to dig deeper in one place rather than digging shallowly in many places. When we start following multiple characters, our point of view starts to shift. In narrative, they call it omniscient point of view, when suddenly we're sitting in the place of God rather than sitting in the place of any single human being. And this is not the way we're used to experiencing our lives. That doesn't mean it can't be a compelling experience. It can, especially if it connects to the theme of what you're trying to write. But if it's happening for superficial reasons rather than organic ones, there's a good chance you're going to run into trouble. So the real question is not if you should pull your audience and yourself out of the point of view of the main character. It's why you are choosing to do so. In less successful screenplays, we often get pulled out of the main storyline to follow another character so that the audience can learn a little bit of exposition. 
In these cases, it's often a manipulative technique by a writer who's not yet developed the craft to weave that exposition into the structure of her story. If you've watched crappy action movies, you've seen this all the time. You're following the main character and then suddenly you pop out and you follow the bad guy. And the bad guy isn't doing anything interesting. He's just sitting there twirling his mustache, laying out his plan for the audience. The writer's goal when this happens is usually just to create a little more tension for the audience, but this approach usually does the opposite of creating more tension. Because rather than allowing us to experience the twists and turns as the character experiences them, instead it lays all the writer's cards on the table. It reminds you that you're in a movie and not experiencing things like you do in your real world life. In fact, this kind of sloppy exposition was famously skewered by Mel Brooks in Spaceballs. Rick Moranis has just made his dramatic entrance as Dark Helmet. How can anybody breathe in this thing? And then he and Captain Asshole lay out their whole plan to steal oxygen from planet Spaceball. And finally, Rick Moranis turns directly to the camera and asks the audience, Did you get all that? So... If you're bumping around on different points of view just to serve your audience, you are probably in danger. Please don't be Rick Moranis. At the same time, it's important to understand that there are many, many great movies that follow multiple points of view with great success. The Usual Suspects follows multiple points of view, not only in its three layers of storytelling, but also within each layer. The Godfathers built primarily around Michael Corleone, but it also follows multiple points of view of Vito, Sonny, Fredo, even Luca Brazzi. Little Miss Sunshine is primarily built around Dad's point of view, but also follows the multiple points of view of Olive, Grandpa, Mom, Uncle Frank. True Detective follows multiple points of view as it cuts between the Woody Harrelson and the Matthew McConaughey characters. Dead Poet Society follows the multiple points of view of each of the boys, the Robin Williams character, and the group as a whole. So there is a long history of great movies and TV series and miniseries that follow multiple points of view. Generally, when great movies follow multiple points of view, they are doing it for a couple of reasons. Sometimes you're more interested in exploring a world than exploring a character. You want to drop us into that world and you want to see that world from multiple characters' point of view. Sometimes you want to understand a conflict from multiple people's point of view. This is something I got obsessed with for years. I wanted to write two main characters on opposite sides of the same war. For an example, from a recent movie in Dunkirk, which I discussed in my recent podcast, we change point of view a lot. Because Christopher Nolan is telling a story of a world, the world of Dunkirk. And he's telling the story of how different kinds of people relate to the same problem. Sometimes you can change point of view to explore a theme. This is what Dead Poet Society does. Dead Poet Society bounces around with different characters. And each character is going through a journey in relation to the theme of sucking the marrow out of life versus choking on the bone. And while some characters are sucking the marrow out of life, other characters are choking on the bone. And while some characters are choking on the bone, other characters are sucking the marrow out of life. And the whole movie is just constructed as an exploration of the different characters wrestling with that same problem. And in that case, it's telling the story of the Dead Poet Society, not just of one dude in it. Little Miss Sunshine is a movie in which every character is going to go on a journey in relation to winning. 
They are all losers and they're all going to try to win and they're all going to win, but first they have to lose. They have to recognize that they are losers. For an example of a movie in which changing point of view doesn't work, let's go back to the subject of last week's podcast, Atomic Blonde. As we discussed last week, Atomic Blonde is essentially a mashup of basically every movie we've ever seen. It's Quentin Tarantino meets The Usual Suspects meets True Detective. Charlize Theron's character is supposed to be doing the Kaiser Soze thing. She's telling a story and there are all these other stories that are happening that may or may not be true. But you don't even really understand what those stories are. And then you have these weird shifts in point of view where suddenly the secondary character just starts talking to you as the audience. And at first it seems like kind of cool. Oh, what cool style. They're breaking the fourth wall and that's really cool. But then when you try to get to the big payoff, it doesn't pay off. Because you're wondering, well, what did she make up? And what did she actually see? It can't all be a fabrication because this guy was literally just talking to you. It wasn't all from the main character's point of view. Even though she's the one narrating the story. So one of the problems that you have when you start changing point of view is that you have to decide if the story is being recounted by somebody else. How true do you want to be to their point of view? Do you want to show things that they haven't actually seen? Or are you willing to show things the way they told themselves the story of it? For example, in Forrest Gump, we are 99.9% with Forrest. But that 0.1% of the movie, we are following Jenny alone. And we're following Jenny alone because of the tug in Forrest's heart around Jenny. So what does all this mean? When in doubt, tell the story of one character. If a piece of you tugs you towards another character, then write that character. But don't write that character to explain something to the audience. Write that character because as you were writing your main character, something tugged at you. It made you feel like you needed to go on a journey with this other character. You can then start to yes and that impulse. You can start to say, okay, if I saw that scene from the point of view of this character, what other scenes do I see with this character? And eventually what will happen if you just keep on yes and Dane, if you just keep on asking if this is true, what else is true? Eventually, you're going to understand what that character is doing in your movie. Sometimes what you realize after following a second character for a while is, oh, I just need to understand where they're coming from. And if that was all you needed, then great. You pull that character out of the movie and you tell the story of the main character with a richer, fuller version of the secondary one. Other times you realize that character is going to be a thread in the structure of your movie or that that character represents a different variation of the same theme. In which case you might start to wonder oh, is there another character that has another variation on that theme? And do I want to lay that thread in too? But this isn't easy. And to understand why, you have to understand some numerical stuff. When you are writing multiple main characters, every character you add makes the writing process exponentially more challenging. This is why most ensemble pieces, even though they have multiple main characters... Most ensemble pieces still have one main character that they are primarily following, that they are building their structure around. In Dead Poet Society, we are primarily following Neil. And then after his death, we're primarily following Todd. 
In Little Miss Sunshine, we are primarily following Dad. In The Godfather, we are primarily following Vito in the first half and Michael in the second half. Usually, these movies are built around one main character, so then the other pieces can weave around that main character's journey. Rather than trying to build around everyone equally, in which case it often just starts to feel like mush. Even Crash is primarily built around the story of the director and his wife, who's in the literal car crash at the center of the movie. So even though there are lots of other pieces, there's really just one main character that forms a kind of spine for the film. And this makes it easier to think, okay, if this character is relating to this theme in this way, then how is this other character relating to the theme? And how is this other character relating to the theme? And how is this other character relating to the theme? Then you can start to really understand what those characters are doing structurally in your movie. You want to be constantly building pressure because here is the really hard thing if you have two main characters. If you have one main character, you get about 100 pages to tell that story, to take that character on the journey of a lifetime that changes them forever. But if you add two main characters, what's going to happen is now you are really only getting 50 pages per character. Maybe there's some overlap where they're in the same scenes together, so maybe you have 75 pages, but you basically just cut the number of pages that you have to tell the same tremendous journey by 25% even as your structure becomes more complicated. If you make it three characters, you now have about 33 pages. So maybe it's about 50 pages with all the overlap per character. So now you just cut the number of pages you have to tell each thread of the story in half. And that's only three main characters. If you have five, you have 20 pages, which means that you maybe have 30 pages with the overlap, which means you just cut the number of pages that you have to tell the character's journey by about 70%. And this is why if you're writing multiple main characters, you have to get so darn efficient. It's almost more like short film writing than it is like feature film writing. The scenes just have to happen like bang. You have to get in, get out because you don't have enough pages to sit in those scenes. Every scene needs to be super, super efficient. And this is why Suicide Squad sucked. They just had too many freaking characters. They couldn't serve all of them. So that's the first challenge when it comes to writing multiple main characters. And the second challenge is a structural one. When you have one character, you're telling only one story. You're telling the story of one character's change from A to Z. So you only have to build one structure. But when you have two main characters, you aren't just telling two stories. You're actually telling three So you actually have to build three levels of structure. You have to build the structure of the character one's journey, and then you have to build the structure of character two's journey, and then you have to build a third structure, the story of character one and two together. How did these two pieces together make a structure? So what ends up happening is you have way, way, way more work to do, and it's exponentially harder because you have fewer pages and you have to build more structure. So for all that work, what is the benefit of telling a multiple main character story? Well, there are some stories that just demand it. If you're writing for TV, it's pretty necessary to do it. There are a couple of TV shows that break the rule of follow only one main character, but it's really helpful in television to have multiple main characters because you want to generate storylines forever, so it's helpful to have all these different storylines to weave. But one of the reasons that that works in television is that the format of television 
goes on forever. So you have unlimited pages to tell those stories. And in television, the characters tend, if they arc at all, and sometimes they don't arc, but if they arc at all, they're going to arc over a really long period of time. So you have a lot of time to devote to them, even though they may not get so many pages per episode. If you think of a show like Modern Family, that's a lot of characters, right? They've got three households full of characters, a lot of characters to juggle. But they actually use the same model that we're talking about here to make order out of all that chaos. In the cold open, we basically introduce a theme in one house. And then what we watch is we watch that theme echo through the other two houses. And then we start to crash characters from the different houses up against each other in relation to the theme. They all do the same thing every time. They all play the same role in relation to each other. They all have the same kinds of problems and arguments, and Ed O'Neill is always going to do the most insensitive thing possible, but it's always going to make it right at the end. And each of the characters is going to go on a journey in relation to the theme. And so what happens is even though you have a dozen characters that you're serving, we end up feeling like we have a really integrated story. Because we're exploring the world of these three families. And we're exploring the theme of the episodes which ties all these families together. But there can also be a huge functional value in telling the story of so many characters. Whether it's in a feature film or on TV. When you're really trying to do something structurally challenging, sometimes serving your theme requires you to break those traditional expectations of films. Dunkirk, for example, could never work if we followed just one character. Because the what is it about wouldn't match up. The movie's about feeling the war wash over you, and we couldn't achieve that feeling without stepping into those many points of view. So at the end of the day, all this stuff that I'm talking about is scary. You start to wonder, how the hell are you going to do it? I've only got 30 pages to tell this whole character's journey. I've got to build three levels of structure. And pretty soon you're wondering if you have what it takes to actually succeed. Because none of us are really smart enough to do this intellectually. And that's why I say if you're going to do it in the early drafts, you can't plan it. You need to do it instinctually. You need to feel that tug in you. And at the moment you feel that tug, you write the other character. And you don't stop writing the other character until you feel the tug back. You need to make sure that the tug is an emotional tug, not an intellectual tug. You have to feel it. If it's like, I want the audience to know this now, or I want to set this up for the audience, you are probably in trouble. But if you're like, I don't know why, but right now I want to follow Jenny, you are probably not in trouble. You're probably doing the right thing. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Again, we make this podcast available totally free and with no outside advertising. So if it was helpful for you, please help us reach our goal of 10,000 listeners by subscribing to us on iTunes and writing us a review. It really does make a big difference in keeping this podcast free for everyone. You can find a link to do so at writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast. For a complete transcript of this podcast or to learn more about studying with me or my faculty in New York City, live online on one of our international retreats or as part of our one-on-one ProTrack mentorship program, you can learn more on our website, 
writeyourscreenplay.com. 